Hey, how you doing? Great to see you. Great to see you. Thank you very much. Happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. Great times. Lots of meat. Going to get eaten later. So that's just the way it goes. Um, hey, uh, two weeks ago, I celebrated 20 years as a Christian. Uh, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, I prayed to receive Christ in my brother's kitchen. Uh, I'm, some of you have heard that story. And, uh, but some of you don't know what happened right after that. I prayed to receive Christ, the girl that I was dating, whose name is Carrie, who now I've been married to for the last 15 years. Um, uh, we, we prayed to receive Christ together. And then the first thing we did right after that is we went to a baseball game. Um, now the reason is, is because I was, uh, you know, I'd made the most important decision in my life, inviting Christ to come into my life, to forgive me. And then we, um, <laughs> then we said, Hey, we have to go cause we have tickets to see the Red Sox tonight. And so we, uh, we went and, um, now you got to understand something about me, uh, before becoming a Christian. I mean, I used to cuss like a sailor, um, now, which seems a bit weird cause I limit my cussing here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I limited, you know, I, I don't, but here's the thing is that, uh, I mean, literally before I was a Christian, every other word that came out of my mouth was some form of cuss word. And, um, so we get to the game. Now, this will all play in later. But we get to the game, and um, Roger Clemens was pitching, who was my favorite player growing up until he uh, left the Red Sox and went to the Yankees. Um, uh, also, President George H.W. Bush was at the game. Uh, so he was there. His son, George W. Bush, who was our former president, was a part owner of the Rangers at the time, who were the team that the Red Sox were playing. So anyway, uh, I'm at the game, and, and we're enjoy- Carrie and I are enjoying the game, and um, there's this moment where this, the umpire makes a call that I didn't like, and I and and I stand up, you know, because I'm about ready to go nuts, and I am like, "Why you?" And I don't know why I stood up, and I was about ready to just unload, you know, to an umpire that's 200 feet away from me, and I just kind of like stop myself, and I look around, and then I sat down. And my uh, Carrie, who I was dating at the time, my wife looks at me because this is these are the moments that I would get like extra out of control. And she looks at me and she's like, you know, it's like, are you okay? Look. And I said, um, and I said to her, and I said, you know, I'm a Christian now, and I don't think God wants me to talk like that anymore. And uh, it was a really big deal. And you got to understand, I had not read much of the Bible. I had been a Christian for less than three hours, and uh, already God had begun this work. Um, in, in me and see, it's more than just God influencing me or God influencing us. When God changes a human life, it was God beginning to transform me because there are things that influence us, but don't necessarily change us. If that makes sense, there's things that we can allow into us that kind of like, uh, you know, they, they influence us kind of modify things a bit, but they don't really change who we are. Right. So, um, you know, you can be going along in life and, you know, you hear the song Eye of the Tiger, right? You hear the song Eye of the Tiger, you get pumped up. If you're a guy and you hear Eye of the Tiger, you want to lift something. You want to like run up a flight of stairs. You know, I mean, you want you want to do something, right? I mean, I, I remember seeing Rocky three with my dad when I was a kid. I was nine years old when it came out, um, which I saw in the theater. And uh, I remember walking out of the theater and as a, as a nine-year-old kid, I mean, and I just wanted to get into a fight because I just saw Rocky beat Clubber Lang and I saw the, you know, da, 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 and I just started getting pumped up. I mean, I, you know, anyway, I, I went to the movies like a year ago 
and they played the the they played the song Eye of the Tiger in the movie. I wanted to get into a fight at the end of that movie too. There was this fourth grader that was messing with me and I'm like, dude, I will take you out. And I was pretty sure I could take him. And, um, but there's lots of things influence us, right? Because music can influence us, but it doesn't transform us. Um, you can go somewhere like we, we tend, we go to, um, <laughs> we go to Boston on to, for Thanksgiving cause that's where I'm from. And, uh, now, those of you that know people that are from Boston, you know that people, Bostonians have like a, a very specific accent that they speak with, you know, and uh, I used to have that accent and I can I stand before you today healed by God uh, of that accent. Uh, glory to God. He healed me. Um, but my wife has this thing where if she goes to Boston and we'll go to Boston for five days for Thanksgiving and she'll start talking like that, like without even realizing it. And so she'll be uh, we'll be driving somewhere in, in, in Boston after we've been there for a couple of days. And she'll like she'll go. She'll say, uh, Robert, park the car over there. And, I, you know, which is hilarious. And being the loving husband that I am, I mock her every time she does it um, because that's what I do. And. Um, now, why she does it? Influence. Didn't change, you know, didn't change who she is. It's just there's things that sometimes influence us. And so influence is a good thing. It can show us what's important, what we value. But listen, transformation is different. Transformation alters us from who we were to who we're becoming to who it is that, we, that God wants us to be. It's becoming, starting as one thing and God doing something in a person's life and, and transforming them into something completely different. But if, I, if we could be honest, what sometimes we really want is for God to just influence us. I mean, we want to stay the same. We just want God to kind of tweak us a little bit. I mean, we're kind of like, you know, in our lives, we want, sometimes we want God like we want a side order of green beans uh, with our dinner. Like just enough to make us feel like we've been healthy, but not enough to really like radically change um, how, how we eat. And listen, God does not want to be your green bean side item. God wants to radically transform your life from what it is to everything that it can be. And the question is, and this is the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning or now this afternoon. And that is, I want us to wrestle with the idea of, do you want God to transform your life in a radical way? And number two, if God is, how do you know he's transforming you? I mean, how do I know that God is transforming me? And this section of 1 John introduces, and we've been in this series called real, authentic faith in a fake world. And we're working our way verse by verse through 1 John. And, and the whole idea is this. It is, and this, this section is going to introduce one of the big themes of 1 John, which is the evidence of knowing God. And so when we truly know God, our lives change. When we truly know God, the way we think about things changes. When a person truly knows God, our hearts towards people changes. Listen, everything changes when we come into relationship with the living God. That's why it, um, it, there's a passage in 2 Corinthians in your notes. It says this. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That means that if you came to know, if you're here and you're a Christian, you've invited Christ into your life and he has forgiven you, or maybe you came forward or you came to know Jesus some other way, uh, but he, he came into your life and forgave you. Can I tell you this? That you are not a cleaned up version of your former self. You are an altogether different person that God, that, that God is transforming your life. 
You know, I mean, I get so thrilled. And I mean, I, you know, I came out of a pretty radical background in bands and all that. I mean, you know, one of my best friends plays guitar in Marilyn Manson. Uh, so it's not like we have a lot of crossover, you know, in things that, that we do. And we still keep in touch and all that. But I mean, it's like, so, you know, he sees me and thinks I'm completely insane. And I love that. I love that, that, that it's like, you know, you're so different now. Yes, yeah, because I'm not who I used to be. And, and that's because God is in this process of transforming me. And if you're a believer, he's in the process of transforming you. And so when you walk into a room, can I tell you this? That when you walk into it, maybe you're at work and you walk into like a break room or some kind of kitchen area and someone's telling, some, telling a joke that's inappropriate and you walk in and everybody stops talking, that's not a bad thing. That's actually a very good thing that they see what God is doing in your life. That that actually, they're like, hey, the, what we, the story we're telling and this person just don't mix. That's a good thing. It means that God is in this process of transforming you. And so John, what he does is this is how you can tell that God is at work in you. That John outlines these three basic things that, that, um, that we do, but we need to do differently when God begins to transform us. So I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you have your phone, open your app to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 3. And here's what it says. It says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. If you pause there and give me your attention, we're going to say that transformation is about three things. Transformation, number one, means changing the way you walk. It means changing the way you walk because he says, listen, if you know God, you're going to walk like him. When I was in college, I applied for this job at, at a company that manufactured home accessories. And uh, it was the company was called Clay, Metal and Stone. But once I started working there and we saw the insanity, we changed the name uh, internally to crazed, mental and stoned. Um, so that's that's what we called it. And um, but a friend of mine worked there and uh, we were in school together. And so he's like, hey, I got a job this place. I'll get you a job. And so uh, during the interview, I'm sitting with the manager of this company and and um, she's asking me about my computer skills. The problem is I didn't know she was asking me about my computer skills because I didn't actually own a computer. Um, so uh, let me, just let me tell you, this is this is a million years ago that I my I didn't own a computer. My sister had a computer. She had one of those like Tandy 2000 it was basically like a glorified word processor. And it had one of those dot matrix printers. How many of you had a dot matrix printer? Can I ask that? Great. There's like 12 of us here who had a dot matrix printer. A dot matrix printer, it has the, that's what the paper that had the holes on the sides. And then you had to like kind of, but you couldn't get it off. You ever have get the paper off? Oh my, you, uh, that was horrible. And then the thing wouldn't work because if you got on you had to pull it out and there's like this little shred of paper in there, the thing wouldn't work. Oh, good Lord. How did we ever get out of that, that era? But anyway, we get th that, uh, you know, I'm telling you the whole game changed with inkjet. Now we don't even care. But now I'm telling you, we, many people rejoiced in that day. Uh, but anyway, so that's what I had. So she's asking about my computer skills. And uh, so she says, uh, do you know Word? And I said to her, and I see, see, she's talking about Microsoft Word. I didn't know that. So she says, do you know Word? And I said, ma'am, I know lots of words. I'm a high school graduate and I'm in my second year of college. And she 
okay. She writes something down. I don't know what that is. I'd love to know. But then she says, okay, um, do you know Excel? Once again, see, she's talking about a program that's called Microsoft Excel. Maybe you've heard of it. I'd never heard of it. So she says, do you know Excel? And I said, ma'am, I excel at everything I do. You hire me and I'm going to be a superstar in this company. And uh, <laughs> amazingly, which this just shows how desperate they were that they hired me. So <laughs> they hired me in this company. And the first day it became very clear that I didn't know anything about a computer because they hired me. They put a stack of papers of things that needed to be inputted and corrected. And uh, so <laughs> they say, all right, well, we need you to do this and this and this. And I'm like, okay. And uh, so I'm looking at the computer. And so she's watching me for about three or four minutes. And she says, "Um, Bob, you see that glowing red button? Press that. That's the power button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's good. I got this. And um, anyway, I mean... I mean, I broke that computer within like a month because I apparently you can't like uh, you can't open the same program like 15 times and expect it to work. Because every time like it closed, it like shrunk. Um, I just kept reopening the program. Anyway, it, the things didn't work out. Uh, I ended up. What's funny is, but I ended up working there for a long time um, until I, I worked there until I graduated from college. Uh, right, like right, until I actually from my second year of college up until I got married. Um, until a few months after I got married, that's when I was, uh, I was there until I started in, in ministry. Um, but, but here's the thing, the, the key, see, I'm like trying to talk a good game, but then you're sitting in front of the computer and you realize like, wow, you don't really know anything. Um, and this is the very thing that John is talking about in the verses that we read. The key to transformation is not talking a good game. Because lots of guys talk a good game. I mean, there's, there's guys um, that I see that uh, they, they want to date like a good Christian girl. And so they start turning on the God talk and, you know, oh, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. You know, and they start talking about all this and whatever. And, um, and, and you know, they talk about how much they love God and, 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 and all that. And, um, and, and listen, can I just tell you, girls, can I tell you something? If he's got to, like, turn on the juices... Uh, to show like how much he loves the Lord and, and, uh, you know, oh, how spiritually mature he is. Um, but he doesn't serve the Lord and you didn't ever really see him around until he took an interest in you. I have one word for you and that is run. Uh, get as far away from that person as possible because you want to find a guy that's growing, that's serving, that's in environments that promote spiritual growth. He's in a, he's in a growth group. He's leading a growth group and all that. Listen, that's a guy who's for real. And so John says that the person who says they love God, they show that they love God by obeying him. That's it. Well, oh man, I really love God. Do you do anything that he says? No, no, I just take it under advisement, but I kind of do whatever I want. No, no. But he says, no, no, no. If if you really love God, you got to walk the way Jesus walked. Well, how do you do that? Well, I want to give you two ways, uh, two two ways that will help you to walk like Jesus walked. Real simple. Number one. Read God's word. Read God's word. You can't walk like Jesus until you've read about what Jesus has done. I mean, it's as simple as that. That's why people do all kinds of crazy things in God's name, thinking that God's into it, but they've never read the book. You know, I mean, this is why, I mean, I just go crazy when I, when I hear about these people that like blow up abortion clinics and then they say, well, I'm just doing what God told me to do. Like, no, see, God never told you to do that. You see, God wants to reach people and he does that with love, not with vigilantes. Okay, 
You're not an assassin for Jesus. Did you know that? Okay. You know, God has not hired snipers. All right. For him. And sometimes I'm telling you, but like when you've never read the Bible and you don't take your medication, there's all kinds of crazy stuff you'll do thinking God told you. All right. And listen, life is so much easier. If we would just, this is a great thing to get in the habit of doing of just, you just read the book. You just read what the Bible says. And then if we would just model our lives after the pattern of Jesus, the decisions that we make would be better. The things that we say would be better. The things that we do would be better. And the outcome of those things would be so much better. And uh, this is, the the Bible says it this way. Um, He says in Psalm 119, he says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So you read God's word. Number two, you apply God's word. And that is you find out what God has to say and then you do it. Jesus said it this way in John 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. I had a friend um, years ago who was telling me he had like the perfect weight loss solution for me. And he's like, let me tell you what you need to do. And he told me like when I need to wake up and what I need to eat at what time and then what exercise I needed to do. And he's telling me this and he's like, you know, you don't really seem into it. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I got two problems. Number one, I'm guessing you're about 70 or 80 pounds overweight. Number two, you're eating a Big Mac right now as you're telling me this. So, you know, physician, heal thyself. Um, and, and, and that's what, listen, but this is what happens. This is what happens in church all the time is that like knowing God's word is important, but let me tell you what puts the ball in the end zone is actually doing what God has to say. You will not experience, I will not experience transformation if we aren't reading and applying God's word in our lives. And listen, there's a lot of Big Mac Christians who will quote the Bible all day long, but nothing in their life changes because they aren't doing what the Bible says and letting the spirit of God work in them. Now, this is what I suggest for you, as this is one of the things that I've tried to do uh, since I became a Christian. And this is, this is what it is, real simple. When you read something in the Bible, do it. Just do it. Oh, but you know, I'm thinking about them. You know, no, just read something in the Bible and do it. Just love people. Hmm, I wonder what that really means in the Greek. Like, it probably means love people. I wonder what that means in Spanish. Uh, probably the same thing. Just do it. And so, and I'm telling you what happens is we, we start, we create all these things and we sort of, you know, and it's like we have like the paralysis of analysis and it's like we end up not doing anything. And it's like you just, you just read it and do it. And listen, and, and when I talk about like reading the Bible, I'm not saying you've got to be like the Bible champion of 2012. I read 60 chapters of the Bible a day. Listen, try with one. Where do I begin? Listen, and I've said this so many times, but um, like this is, this is if, where you want to start. I mean, I still do this. I mean, 20 years and I'm still doing this. That is whatever the day is. Today's the 17th. I read Proverbs 17. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs in most months. There are 30, 31 days. And so I just try to read a chapter of Proverbs a day. And if you say, well, I want to do more than that, then start reading the Gospels. But, you know, oh, you know, Luke's got 24 chapters in it. Well, you know, start with verse one. Let's see where it goes from there. And just and my whole thing is this. Whenever I read Proverbs, whenever I read anything, I'm just looking for one verse. What's the one verse where God wants to say something to me? Because can I tell you something that the Bible is not like a fortune cookie? It's not like this place where you find like ancient wisdom, like, oh, you know, you know, you're Oh, yeah, that's good. I'm going to take a picture of that. That's a good fortune. That, it's, not, it's not. It's not some ancient book that contains interesting sayings and funny anecdotes. The Bible, here's what, here's what, the Bible is living and active. Living and active. You ever wonder why sometimes you come here and you're like, man, I read the verse. And it's like God gave me a karate chop in the head. 
That's because the Bible's living and active. I ha- I've had guys come up to me. It's Father's Day, so that's, uh, you know, guys, I'll talk to you. I've had, I've had husbands come up to me. This is a true story. Who have asked me, and this has happened to me so many times. They come up to me and they're like, how long has my wife been talking to you? Does she call you? Does she email you? And I'm like, sir, what are you talking about? Because everything that you talked about is exactly what we've been arguing about. And I'm like, sir, I'm sorry to tell you this, but I have no idea who you are nor who your wife is. And uh, my apologies for that, but it is true. And so and they're like, well, then how do you know? And I'm like, because it's the book, man. The book is alive. The book is active. The book is the, the God's word is not just like, wow, it's so interesting. I mean, you can't put your hand on that thing will bite. You know, I, I, listen, the, the Bible says this way in, in Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. See, that's the thing. And, I, and I, I, I remember talking to a guy once and I'm like, listen, that's why you think that, uh, that, you know, I'm telling you what you and your wife are arguing about. It's not me. The thing is, it's the book, man. You see, God's word just has this ability that it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It knows, man. And, and, and when you get into the book, the book is going to start speaking to you. God's going to start speaking to you through it. And that, listen, anyone whose life has been radically transformed by God is a person who is in the book. And they read the book, they're reading the scriptures, and they are putting God's word in their heart, and God is transforming their lives. And listen, so that's what I'm so They change the way that they walk, but look at what happens next in verse 7. He says this in 1 John. He says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. And again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So the first thing that we said is that transformation means changing the way that you walk. The second thing I want to tell you is that transformation means changing who you love. It's changing who you love. You see, it's a funny thing what John says, and I, I love this, pa- this section because he says, I want to tell you a new commandment. Well, it's an old commandment, but it was a new commandment. Well, it's an old commandment, but now we're making it new. It's like, well, is it new or old? And he's like, yes. Huh? Well, it's an old commandment, but it is a new commandment. What is the commandment? The command is to love. But see, well, what kind, is, it, is it the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength like Jesus said? Well, yeah, but see, that wasn't new when Jesus said it. That's actually a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Oh, maybe it's when Jesus added, love your neighbor as yourself. No, that's not new either because that's a, a quotation from Leviticus chapter 19. So what is it? It's love, but it's in a specific way. He doesn't... Um, just say, well, you know, love your neighbor, love other people. There's a specific way to love. Let me show you in John chapter 13. Jesus says it this way, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's not the new part. Here's what he says. Love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, it's this one phrase that makes the old commandment new. It's when he says, I want you to love one another. Yeah, but the Bible already says that in Leviticus. Yeah, but I want you to love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love? Sacrifice, the cross. And so it's a self-sacrificial love that he's talking about. 
You see, we talk about loving things, but it's only when we're willing to sacrifice that we express the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. My son is almost going to be three next month. He loves everything. My son comes up to me the other day. This is true. He comes up to me um, and he'll say, he says, uh, and he says this all the time, but he, he'll come up to me and he'll give me a hug. He says, Bobby, I love you. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I love you too. And I'll give him a hug. And I'm like, you're my big boy and all that. And, um, and, uh, and it's, it's the sweetest thing. And then he, he comes over, he, he leaves and then he goes to his room and then he comes back a minute later and he says, Poppy, I love cars. And I'm like, yeah, I know I've spent way too much money buying new cars. And, um, so I'm, I'm aware. And then he leaves and he comes back in a minute and he says, Poppy, I love people. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's a bit vague, but I'm going with that. And that's good. It's good to love people. And then um, he leaves a few minutes later, was, you know, because he keeps coming back like every minute. And this is like 10 minutes later, he comes back and he says, Poppy, yes, Sander, I love going poop. And uh, I'm like, okay, just do me a favor. What's that? Go tell your mom that. Okay, I'm out of here. And uh, so, <laughs> but I mean, you know, he loves everything. And what's funny is that he actually reminded me of that today. I'm getting him dressed for church. He said, Poppy, yes, Sander, I love going poop. And I'm like, I really appreciate that. Just do that when I'm not here. Um, So, you know, but the kind of love that Jesus is commanding us to love when he says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. It's not just like this warm love. Oh, I just love everybody. We should all just, I wish I could teach the world to sing, hold everyone's hand and buy the world a Coke, you know, and, um, and all, you know, that's, that's not, that's not the, the, what he's saying. It's not love that gives us the warm fuzzies. It's love that actually costs us something. It's love that's sacrificial. Listen, this kind of love looks like to the point where we're going to love to the point where it's, it might hurt a little bit. Love to the point where, man, it's, it's going to cost us something. You see, most of the time, listen, and this is, this is so true, like all of us, um, we love when it's convenient, right? You know, we get something new, and then we give the old one away, and then we call it charity, right? I mean, do, do you know that, that that word charity, it's it's a shame. It's such a beautiful word. It's such a robust word, and it's been reduced to this is what you do with an old pair of jeans you don't want anymore. Uh, you just you just give it. It's like one step above a garbage can as you give it to a, a, a charity. The word charity. Um, some of you are been around the Bible enough that you you know the the chapter First uh, Corinthians thirteen, where the Bible talks about um, you know you know love is patient, love is kind. Um, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That word in the, in the old English, in the, in like the King James, it's not the word that's used is not love. It's the word charity because the word charity in the, in the old English refers to love that's in motion. It's love that's in action. And, and so it's like love that is in action, um, is, is, is patient. Love that's on the move is kind. And so sometimes, I mean, we just, we reduce it to like, oh, well, I just kind of feel love. No, but when love believes all things and in, love endures all things, what is that? That's, that's, that's a love that's willing to sacrifice. You see, the, John would write it this way in 1 John 3, and we'll get there in a few weeks. He says, my little children, let us not love in tongue or in word, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth. And we shall assure our hearts before him. Listen, this is one of the ways that you can know um, that God is, 
is at work in your life and that you're growing and that God is transforming you. Before you became a Christian, you were concerned about one person, yourself. And then Jesus Christ came into your life and now there's this growing concern about other people. There's this growing concern about what, not just what's happening to you. And sometimes you're willing to say, hey, I'll even take the hit for the sake of, of what's happening with someone else. And, and, and there's this kind of growing love that, that with, with our time and our talent and our resources and, and our giftings, we're seeking to honor God and bless other people. And, and it's more than just like, well, you know, I know, you know, I got to give and tithe and all that. The first 10 percent. Listen, that, that's good and that's great. And I'm I'm. I'm into that. I'm glad you're into that. Um, but this is more than just like the first 10. This is a lifestyle that we live, that we're looking for opportunities to bless people. That is the very heart of the gospel. Listen to what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8. It says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in, in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Isn't that an amazing passage that he talks about God? He says that God who has everything made himself nothing so that you and I could inherit everything through him. That's just an, it's an incredible thing that happens. Can I tell you that this is the very thing that's happening in this Get Real campaign that we started a couple years ago? That, and this is, not, this is what you guys are doing. And you guys are sending stories that are just mind-blowing of stuff that's happening. I, I, I got an email um, from, from a girl this week, um, that, an email that got forwarded to me uh, from, from someone in our church, that she's like, I was in the checkout lane at Publix, and... Um, she just felt God telling her. Um, and so she turns around and she says to the single mom behind her, God, I'm, I'm supposed to pay for your groceries. So she pays for the groceries. Of the woman. Of course, the, woman's blo- she's bl- the single mom's blown away. Like, well, why are you doing that? Well, because God's transforming my life. Because see, Jesus had everything and became nothing so I could inherit everything. And I'm just trying to reflect some of that. The fact that I used to be, I, I was a broken person. You know what God's done? He's reshaping me and molding me. And God takes people that are broken and turns them into mosaics. And see, that's, that's what happens. That You see, a person w- that has not been transformed cares for himself. Transformation comes and you used to care for yourself, but now your concern is for others because there's this issue of love and there's this new commandment to love. It's kind of like the old commandment, but it's different because it's like I used to just, it's, it's loving, but not just loving those that are lovable. It's loving those who maybe are a little more difficult because I'm loving as he has loved me. Look at what happens in verse nine. This is where we're going to draw to a close. He says, and he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. He who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's the third thing I want to show you. And that is, number three, that transformation means changing the way you see. It's changing the way that you see. You see, John says, you can't love God. You can't say you love God and turn around and hate people. Why? Because to say that you love God and turn around and hate people shows that you don't know God at all. 
Because God's love in your life should be transforming you to make you a more loving person. And do you know why this is so important? Because hate wants to destroy everything in your life. It wants to destroy every good thing that God wants to do in you. It wants to destroy the future that God has for you. It wants to destroy everything that God wants to do in you and for you and through you. And listen, I, you know, and, and I think, and I, t- I try to take this now to an extreme. Um, like I grew up in Boston and, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm a huge Red Sox fan. And, uh, you know, like if you're from Boston, you are born not only with a passionate love for the Red Sox, but with a passionate hate for the New York Yankees. Um, that's just the way we're brought up. And, um, but you know, I became a Christian and it's a weird thing. It's like, well, I, I, I hate that team. And I, I, you know, I mean, I don't even really, I mean, I don't even really like to use the term that much. And so, but the weird thing is, is that, you know, like, do you like the Yankees? No, I can't stand the Yankees. But then you find out that there's a bunch of Yankees players that are Christians. And see, then I, and I know some pastors that are actually, they're, they're, they're pastor and these guys live all over the country and they uh, attend church and they're very involved. And so I get home yesterday. I mean, we go out for lunch and I get home. Um, and so I grab a book that I'm reading and I sit on the couch. And I turn on the TV. The Red Sox aren't going to be on until this afternoon, till that afternoon. So I just turn on. Uh, the first game that was on, which is the Yankees playing the Washington Nationals. And Andy Pettit is pitching for the Yankees. Now, one thing you need to know about Andy Pettit, Andy Pettit is a guy that loves Jesus. Um, Mariano Rivera, the guy who closes, the closer for the Yankees, that guy loves Jesus, is passionate about God, shares his testimony all the time. Um, a lot of these players, when they, um, when they sign autographs, um, they give uh, the, the cards that they give out to fans. It's a, it's a picture of them. And then on the back, it shares their testimony about how they came to know Jesus. So I, I grew up in Boston. I'm not supposed to like the Yankees. And I don't like the Yankees. But I love Andy because he loves Jesus. And so he's pitching. And I'm like, man, I really want this team to lose. But I want him to do well. I can't hate him. I can't hate him. I want him to do well. So how, God, let him pitch the game of his life. But the team still lose in a heartbreaking loss. So... <laughs> I, I will not listen. God's still working on me and I'm very confused, but I'm trying. I don't want to hate. And that's the whole point. And it, you say it's silly, right? It's silly. But here's the thing. There's something that's not silly here. And that is that hate wants to eat your lunch. It wants listen. Hate is what keeps people bound. It keeps them chained to the past. It doesn't allow them to go on. Listen, if you, maybe you've experienced this or maybe someone you know has experienced this where you talk to a person that has such a hate for their ex-spouse and they just hold on to it and it actually changes the way they look. They just have a scowl on their face all the time. They're angry all the time. And it prevents, you know, the thing is when you have that kind of hate that it, you now have to hold on to the past, it prevents you from ever moving on to the future. Because every bad thing that, that happened has to be blamed on that person that hurt you. And can I tell you something? I'm not telling you that what they did was good, right, or acceptable. What I'm saying to you is that this is not the best way to live. That there is a better way. And I, the better way is to be free. And the only way to be free is to love. And the only way to love is to tell that person, you did me wrong, but I'm going to forgive you. Not because you deserve it but because God has forgiven me of much worse. And because God has forgiven me, I'm going to forgive you. You see, that's what happens when we take God's word and we apply it to our lives, that he begins to transform us and change us, and we become different people. A couple weeks ago, my daughter, who's five, 
comes up to me and um, she tells me, Bobby, I know the fruit of the Spirit. And I said, you do? And she says, yes. Do you want me to tell them to you? And I said, yes. And she says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'm like, yes! And we ha- we ch- I cheered and everybody came over and Xander and Olivia and, and mom came over. And I'm like, Mia, do it again. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yes! And, I'm, and, and I said, do you know what... Um, the Bible says, it says that the fruit of the Spirit, do you know why it's called the fruit of the Spirit? And she said, why? And I said, because when a person, when Jesus changes a person's life, the, out, the, the, the outpouring of their life, I said, you ever see a tree and the fruit of it, that's how you know what kind of tree it is? And I said, the fruit of that, the, 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 the evidence uh, that, that you know Jesus is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I said, and I said, that just, I said, it's showing me that Jesus is working in your life, man. She was so happy. She was excited. And then 10 minutes later, she punched her brother in the head. Um, and I'm like, okay, let's go back to the fruit of the spirit part. Like, okay, the fruit of the spirit, it was that loving that bring love into your life. No. Did that bring joy? Well, probably brought a little bit of joy because of what he was doing, but that's not the point. Um, and so we're, we're working on this. But listen, this is what he's saying. He says, you can't say you love God and hate your brother. It's not the way it works. When, when God transforms your life, you don't just love the lovable. God transforms your life to even love those people that we like to call EGRs. You know what EGR means? Those are people that are called extra grace required, right? You, you, I'm telling you, so there's some people I walk up to, I'm like, oh... You're an EGR. Yeah. Extra grace required. Let me jot that down the next time I see you. Uh, and I'm telling you, if we truly, listen, if we truly love God and have been transformed by his love, we will be more loving to people that are even more difficult to love. Because, listen, the fruit of the Spirit, the outflow of the Spirit um, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I love the first part when it says in another translation, the New Living Translation, it says, but when the Spirit, listen to what it says, look right here. But when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, you look at the fruit of a tree to know what kind of tree it is. Right. I mean, you don't look at a tree that has oranges hanging from it and say, you know, that's actually a mango tree. It just happens to be producing orange. No, no, no. The kind of fruit that it produces is the kind of tree that it is. Jesus would say it this way. You can identify them by their fruit. That is the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So here's the question. What kind of fruit are you producing? If the fruit isn't that good, you need God to transform your life. You see, do you know why John is so passionate about this topic that he's writing about? Is because he's not talking about this in theory. This is the story of his life. One of, I think, one of the most hilarious pictures in um, Jesus's entire ministry and in, in, in the whole New Testament really is this uh, story that's told in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he stops at a city called Samaria to preach. 
And the people in Samaria, they don't like Jesus' preaching and they want him to leave. Well, John and his, his brother James, they get upset. This John, the guy who wrote 1 John, uh, he, they, he gets upset. Um, interestingly enough, John did not include that in his gospel. It's included in Luke's gospel, which I find things like that funny. Uh, like, well, we'll just skip over that story. And uh, so, but Luke's like, hey, I'm going to give a detailed account, you know. And so John and James, they don't like the fact that the people didn't like Jesus' message. So, you know, they, they hear that and they're like, huh. And they, they say, so Jesus is preaching the gospel to them. They don't want it. And then James and John, they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them like Elijah did? Which, number one, like, have you ever done that before? When was the last time you, like, you know, you went all like char hut on, on a, a city? Well, never. Um, and and it, it's like the weirdest thing, you know, it's like, Lord, they won't receive your message of love, grace, and forgiveness. You want us to kill everyone? No, thank you. Please step to the back. Okay. Well, we're here if you change your mind. Like, that was John. That was John. And and what happened? Jesus happened. Transformation happened. The same guy that wants to wipe out an entire town because they won't receive a message of love. Because that just seems like the normal response. You won't receive my message of love. Now I got to kill you. You know, so that's like, that's what he's trying to do. Jesus is like, whoa, slow down there, cowboy. And uh, so what happens is, is that now he goes from that to, you know what John later on in his life was called? The apostle of love. Because that's what he talked about. He talked about loving God and loving one another. This is one of the major themes in First John is about loving God and loving one another and proving it by through our actions. And he, this is a guy that reached countless towns after Jesus died, after Jesus was resurrected, after his life was transformed, and he was sent out as an apostle. You know what happened? Entire towns came to know Jesus because of him. The same guy that wanted to torch a town that didn't believe, he won over completely. How? With love. And see, there's good news and bad news here. The bad news is I can't give you a three-step formula to being transformed by God. I can't give you a, you know, here you go, lather up, wash, rinse, and repeat. I can't, I don't have it. But the good news is it's not about your effort. It's about God's grace. If you want to be transformed by God, here's what you need to have. You need to have an experience with God. You need to call, call out to Him and ask God to come into your life and radically work in your life. Listen, can I, can I say this at the risk of being misunderstood? And that is that there are people that are like, quote unquote, good people, but they just don't know God. Like, you know, because you can go to church your whole life and not know the Lord. I mean, you can read the Bible and not know God. And you can be baptized so many times that you know all the fish in the sea on a first name basis. And that, that doesn't mean that you actually know the Lord. I mean, salvation is about coming to God and surrendering. It's not about God. I just want you to kind of influence me or tweak me a little bit or make me like a little better version of me. No, no, no. It's coming to him and saying, God, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I am messed up. And I have fallen so short of the standard that you have for me. And that's why I'm coming to you through Jesus who died for me. That even though I couldn't be perfect, he was perfect for me. And I can have him come into my life and forgive me. And listen, transformation comes when a person gives themselves to God and surrenders. And God, they receive the gift of God's grace. 
Can I tell you something? Um, this might be a little bit of a heavy thought on Father's Day, but I'm going to tell you this anyway. Everyone responds to the gospel. Everyone does. The problem is, is that some people say no. And sometimes we look on, oh man, isn't it great that some people responded to the gospel today? No, no, everyone responds to the gospel. Some people just say no. And the challenge is, of the challenge of saying no to the gospel enough is that eventually you become inoculated to it. To where um, you just, you become hardened to the things of God. You become deaf to hearing God's voice speaking to you. That's why there's an old saying that says, this, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. You see, the gospel is doing something in you right now. It's creating a desire for God to transform your life. It's creating a thirst for God in you right now. Or it's just hardening you. Because maybe you've just said no to God so many times, you're like, I don't even, I'm not even phased anymore by it. That is a scary place to live. Listen, God wants to transform your life. God wants to change your life. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a place in his kingdom. And the choice is yours to receive it or ignore it. And I want to give you an opportunity now. Let's pray together. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that you want to do a transforming work in us. And Lord, you changed my life and I am forever in debt to you. And God, I know that there are those here that want you to transform them in this place, in this moment. So listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, um, maybe you're in this place right now and you're saying, I want, I want God to transform my life. I want Jesus to forgive me. Um, I, I want to change. And I know that only comes through Christ. I know that only comes through the cross. So if you're in the place where you say, I'm hearing his voice, I want him to change me. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to pray for you. So I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you with every head bowed, every eye closed, just simply raise your hand and let me acknowledge that you're here. Okay, you want, you want me to pray for you and I'm going to pray for you as we close. So if you're ready, just lift a hand. I see your hands in the back. God bless you. I see hands in the front, on the side, all over this auditorium. Hands are raised. People asking, saying, God, please transform my life. Change me. God wants to do a work in you. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for every heart that's here, for every hand that's lifted that represents a heart that's opened. And God, I pray that today would be the day that you would transform their lives, the day that they would see you begin to radically change their lives. God, not by what we've done or what we can do, but by your love and by your grace. Do a great work in this place, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.